from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. From a big green monster. Agriculture happens everywhere. We're just bringing it up off the ground and putting it up on a roof. To producing a lot of green people can eat. A look at how Boston's Fenway Park is hitting home runs when it comes to farming. Farmer sentiment improves. The ag economy barometer was up five points this month compared to a month earlier. An update on the latest rise in the ag economy barometer. And from record-breaking highs to hitting new lows. A deep dive into the wild ride the cattle markets have been on right now on Ag Day. Ag Day, presented by Pioneer. What's next happens when the testing grounds meet the proving grounds. Pioneer, what's next happens here. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. Cattle producers have to be watching markets right now with some real concern. Monday, live cattle prices hit an 11-month low, and last week the average cash cattle price fell for a fourth straight week. Ag Day's Michelle Rook joins us. And Michelle, in September, we were talking about live cattle hitting an all-time high. Yeah, that's right, Clinton. After the record highs hit mid-September, live cattle futures made new lows for the move this week, and feeder cattle futures hit new contract lows. So what's behind the massive sell-off, and is this a repeat of 2015? I asked market experts to find out. The break in this historic cattle market has been steep and swift. February live cattle futures have corrected $30 from the contract high set September 19th at 196.60, while Jan feeders have broken nearly $60 from their high on September 15th at 268.50. The market's gone down more than we than it went down when we had mad cow disease. The market's gone down further than when we had September 11th. Um, you know, we're, we're approaching COVID level stuff. Meanwhile, Quimis's fundamentals haven't changed radically as cash cattle have only dropped about $10 in comparison the last four weeks and choice beef is still near $294. So what caused the sell-off? The one thing that is different is our average weights are higher. Um, right. And, uh, you know, partly because of that, We've lost something that is critical to your ability to, to uh, have any kind of power in the marketplace, and that word is leverage. Um, we had it for a long time uh, because we've done such a great job of being current. Plus increased numbers in the last two cattle on feed reports and some economic uncertainty caused the funds, which were near to record long in the cattle markets, to liquidate to a nearly flat position. The last part of the sell-off in feeder futures may have been tied to the margin calls on short feeder puts tied to the LRP program. You can write the LRP policy uh, that's going to line up with the same day that the feeder calf puts are going to go off of the board. So, and then basically by doing that, writing an LRP and selling a put, you can squeeze out that government subsidy. You can add a little bit of premium to your cattle, and that's been a, been a program that's been pretty easy. However, Quimet doesn't think this is a repeat of 2015 because the cattle herd is smaller and there hasn't been evidence of heifer retention yet. So there's still some optimism for 2024. I'm Michelle Work reporting for Ag Day. Thanks, Michelle. Despite those cattle prices for the second month in a row, farmers are more optimistic about the ag economy. That's according to the latest ag economy barometer by Purdue University and the CME Group. The November survey of farmers saw the index climb five points to 115. That's 12% higher than a year ago as U.S. farmers report an improved perception of their farm's financial condition and future prospects. Helping push the index higher 
was the impression of current conditions up 12 points over last month. The Farm Financial Performance Index this month was up three points compared to October and up four points compared to a year ago, but that still leaves that index 11 points lower than it was two years ago. When we asked farmers what their biggest concerns were for the upcoming year, they still point to high input costs as a top concern, but rising interest rates and lower crop and livestock prices are also increasingly sources of concern for farmers. More farmers, 16% of those surveyed, say now is a good time to make large capital investments. That pushed the capital investment index to 42 points. Now one reason, more farmers say there are now higher dealer inventories. Mintert says that may be an indication that farm equipment price increases are starting to moderate. Happening later this week, Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack is scheduled to attend the UN Climate Change Conference or COP28 conference in Dubai. The secretary will be participating in the conference's Ag Day. This is as areas of Europe are having to scale back dairy production and cow numbers due to increased government regulations. Now here at home, dairy producers are already taking action to lower their carbon footprint. As the U.S. dairy industry tackles some of these climate initiatives, experts say there's opportunity to turn them into additional revenue. Conservation doesn't always get, um, is always seen in a positive light, but dairy farmers right now, because of our customer base, are being asked to do more. They're being asked to measure and verify and report the carbon credits and environmental credits that they're creating on their operation. And these conservation funds can help them cost share some of that progressive work they're doing on their farm. Now it's expected the UN Food and Agriculture Organization will unveil a new climate commitment roadmap when it comes to ag. It's also anticipating leaders will introduce a declaration on food systems, agriculture and climate action. If you love skiing, Utah is the place to be right now. The state seeing more snow on Monday with some areas seeing up to 50 inches or three feet of snow on the ground since the weekend. Colorado also seeing up to 30 inches of fresh snow. It's reported ski resorts across Utah are open with a solid base and now fresh snow on top of that. We're once again talking about atmospheric rivers in the Pacific Northwest. Meteorologist Ben Engelbrecht has more on that and where we could see some snow later this week. Yeah, it's a map that we typically don't use all that much as we go into December, January or February, the flooding potential. Uh, but you'll see uh, by Wednesday, Thursday and Friday back here towards Oregon and Seattle, Washington, even into California, the flooding potential is there as we go into our Wednesday. Now watch what happens into the weekend. That energy that is bringing now the rain back out here to the northwest is going to flow down here to the south. So by Friday into Saturday, a new area starts to show up, but we still have the flooding potential back out to the west. So this is that next low pressure system. We're going to have to work out the timing regarding where the cold air is located and where the moisture is located, because that could mean snowfall back up into the Midwest and also into the plains to go along with not only thunderstorms, but heavy downpours as well. So again, that's the flooding potential on Saturday. Go ahead and take a look at your screen here. And for some, oh my goodness, harvest is still rolls on. Robert is in Australia, right? He says he's nearly finished harvesting wheat and he brought in a whole army to help. Looks like great weather and hopefully a great crop there too. I'll have more on your forecast coming up.
If you're looking for the perfect real Christmas tree, experts say you should shop early this year. Tim O'Connor with the National Christmas Tree Association says most growers these days are able to make a profit. That's a much different story compared to 10 years ago due to an oversupply. Since then, growers have cut plantings of new trees and that has produced tight supplies over the last couple of years. You know, we will see more trees come into the marketplace in the future. They're planted. They're growing, and in the not-too-distant future, there will be more trees to harvest every year than we're currently experiencing. But will it create another oversupply? Experts say that remains to be seen. Commodity markets are digging through a myriad of information here at Midweek. We'll dig into the details coming up next, and later, farming at Fenway. And no, this crop isn't the next group of baseball stars. Details in the country. And there's still time to sign up for the Case IH holiday giveaway. Each lucky winner will get a Case IH prize pack full of great gifts and we'll announce the winners just before Christmas here on Ag Day. Then the grand prize winner will be announced just before the holiday on U.S. Farm Report. They'll win a Farmall C pedal tractor. To enter, head to the website on your screen, caseihholidaygiveaway.com. Farm debt is Ag Day is sponsored by Germinator Steel Closing Wheels. Perfected in conventional, excels in no-till. Order your Germinator Closing Wheels today. Corn futures are trading higher for the fifth straight session, while cattle tried to pull away from Monday's 11-month low. Michelle Rook has more in this morning's Markets Now. Well, grains closing mostly higher on Tuesday, with the exception of a few of the soybean contracts. Uh, Ted Seifert's Zanarek Hedges joining us. Corey, we to the plus side, China business short covering at both push the markets. But how much higher do you think we can go here? You know, wheat's the big question mark, Michelle. That's the one. Well, the funds are really short in both places. But uh, the big short that they've had in wheat, they've had that for a really long time. And there's really not been any reason, uh, at least on a chart from a technical standpoint, for them to cover really any of that. We're just now starting to give them a bit of a reason. Uh, you go back to uh, May, uh, you had a reversal higher in Kansas City wheat. That sparked a multiple day, or actually, sorry, about three month rally in wheat. Now, we did ultimately go back and make new lows after that, as we all know. Uh, but this could be the start of a, a fairly decent correction in wheat, one that we haven't seen here for a little while, uh, mainly short covering in nature. The big question is, does China have any more to buy? That was the yeah. sort of catalyst that we had to sort of follow through to the upside here. Uh, if they continue to do that, that'll really give uh, funds a, a good reason to cover their shorts. So talk about corn, because we've been hearing talk that China's going to come in and buy U.S. corn as well. And does that help us put this harvest low finally in that market, do you think? Yeah, finally. You know, uh, a lot of analysts have been calling for this harvest low or post-harvest low for a couple months now. Uh, but but it seems to be a little bit more legitimate now at this point. I am wondering if maybe the low is in now for corn, uh, partially because we are really the cheapest corn in the world at the moment. Uh, the Argentinian farmers aren't selling right now because they're waiting for the new president to come in because he's promised to cut our uh, agricultural taxes. So they're they're figuring if they wait a little bit longer, they'll get more money. So, so that's uh, uh, that's helping us. Uh, and then also Brazil, they're slow on selling their corn because they're not sure about that replacement crop yet. Um, so, if China does come back in or does need to buy corn, it could very likely be from us, and there could be uh, a pretty decent amount of corn sold to China. 
If that's the case, that means that fundamentals uh, for corn are maybe a little bit brighter than they were a couple weeks ago. All right. Thanks for joining us. That is Ted Seifert's Zanarag Hedge. We'll have more Ag Day coming up. Ag Day is brought to you by Advanced Acre RX from Winfield United, the comprehensive customized program that's paying off at operations across America. Visit winfieldunited.com slash AARX. apologize for that attempt at an Australian accent a, a little bit ago. Now, right now, we're going to attempt to uh, forecast precipitation in and across the United States, a very fickle system to say the least. And you'll see why when we look at the snowfall estimate. Uh, so the totals through 1 a.m. back out here to the west up into Canada as we advance this through to your Friday, Thursday and into Friday, start to pool some of that colder air and moisture back out into the four corner states, the higher elevations. After this, that low pressure system, the energy is going to dig south, pick up some moisture from the Gulf of Mexico, lay down some snow and rain. We'll focus on the snow potential Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon and into our Sunday night. You see, it's not a big swath of snow, but where it does come down, it could potentially looking at some heavy snowfall and on top of that, some strong winds being a low pressure system. I expect strong winds to go along with some of the snow. So this thin line, it will change between now and Sunday. So it is worth monitoring exactly how this system, just the way that it comes to the south initially can make a big difference on where this line, the snowfall line lines up. Now, while that is snow, I anticipate an inch to at least an inch of rainfall back down into the Gulf Coast states where that low pressure system is going to be fueling uh, some of those uh, heavier downpours, perhaps some thunderstorms as well. As for the temperature outlook, this is December 10th through the 14th. Not a lot has changed in regards to the temperature forecast. Uh, warmer than average uh, into the Dakotas and then uh, above average conditions into the northeast uh, with the uh, precipitation outlook. That includes rain and snow. We get these systems rolling through and then dry right back out. So below normal precipitation into Tennessee as well as back up here in the Midwest. That's the 10th through the 14th and that is going to get us into the middle part of December. We'll start off in Alice, Texas, mostly sunny, high around 75 degrees, low of 52. Newcastle, Pennsylvania, cloudy, high of 37 degrees. And I'm just going to go with Wisconsin. Baraboo, cloudy, high of 41. Your next piece of equipment is on machinerypeat.com. Search equipment from dealerships across the country to find what you're looking for only on MachineRepeat.com. An Iowa pork producer and regional manager for a livestock dealer has pleaded guilty to defrauding fellow producers. Court documents say 52-year-old Robert Bickerstaff of Rock Rapids pleaded guilty to one count of wire fraud. The U.S. Attorney's Office says Bickerstaff worked as a regional manager for an Iowa livestock dealer between 2018 and 2021. Now they say he oversaw buying stations in Iowa, Minnesota, and South Dakota where he counted, classified, and weighed swine. It's alleged Bickerstaff personally lowered the weights, numbers, and classifications of hogs at the stations or directed others to do it. They also say he created fraudulent sort sheets and scaled tickets for hogs. It's reported Bickerstaff could face up to 20 years in prison. He remains free on bond until sentencing. 
One Missouri senator is introducing legislation that he says would protect pork producers following the Supreme Court decision on California's Proposition 12. Republican Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri introducing the Protecting Interstate for Livestock Producers Act. He says it would protect farmers from costly regulations made in other states that could hurt their business and drive up the cost for consumers. You'll remember California voters passed Proposition 12, which bans the sale of pork, eggs, and calves for veal not produced without certain space requirements. Now, Holly doesn't believe farmers across the country should have to comply with California's preferred requirements to access the California market. Now, he says California accounts for about 13% of all pork consumption in the U.S. Up next, Boston is known for its big green monster, but it's a different kind of green that's getting attention. Take a swing at Farming for Fenway next. is one of the oldest stadiums in the world, but its huge wall to the left of the outfield isn't the only green thing about it. Coy Wire shows us how the Red Sox are hitting sustainability out of the park. Hours before the gates open on a Red Sox game day in late August at Fenway Park in Boston, a different team is hard at work. As these crops continue to come out, we'll plant in fall greens, We'll plant in lettuces. This is Fenway Farms, a 5,000 square foot garden area on a section of rooftop at the oldest active Major League Baseball park in America. You know, agriculture happens everywhere. We're just bringing it up off the ground and putting it up on a roof. Chris Grallert is a farmer and the president of Green City Growers, which operates this farm and some 200 other locations, including at 40 Boston public schools. But none are as visible and perhaps surprising as Fenway Farms. There's a desire for people to have more locally grown fresh produce and interact with the people who are growing and, and distributing that fresh produce. And I think when you have such high visibility like you do at a garden like this, people start to see that it's possible and it can really be the seed to start the new revolution towards food system transformation. The garden first opened in 2015. Recycled milk crates formed the raised planters. These are fingerling type potatoes. Irrigated by a special system that delivers the precise amount needed to each plant. The produce doesn't have to travel far, just a short walk to Chef Ron Abel and his team, operating the restaurants and concessions at Fenway. Produce delivery. How are you doing, bud? Good to be always. seen, good to what see you. Beautiful design. onions, right off, look at the size of those. I have the best chef job in the city, well, actually, maybe the country, where I've got a rooftop garden, that the food travels 100 feet, gets washed, and gets served to everybody. And then this dish that Sean's putting together is, is simple. Potatoes we harvested this morning. We've got purple potatoes. We've got fingerling potatoes, heirloom carrots of different colors. And he just steamed them lightly. And they get seasoned lightly. Green City Growers estimates Fenway Farms reduces the need for produce to purchase at the venue by 20%. Anything left over, along with what's harvested from a smaller designated area next to the main farm, is donated to a local food rescue and distribution organization called Lovin' Spoonfuls. 
We can produce anywhere from four to 6,000 pounds of fresh produce a year, depending on what we're growing. And so the range of vegetables, asparagus to zucchini. Produce from A to Z, making the iconic green of Fenway Park even greener. All right, thanks, Coy. And that's all the time we have this morning. We're sure glad you tuned in from all of us here at Agden for the news. Have a great day.